Okay. Sorry about that. So this week, Christ is born, the creator of the universe, humbly took on flesh. Our memory verse this week, if we can try to say it together, is new this week. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. Last week, we looked at the reactions of Mary and Joseph to their visitations and how they reacted in humble obedience. We also spent some time dismissing the absurd beliefs that some called Christians have in regard to the divinity of Mary. This week, we're going to review the events around Jesus' birth. So, of course, we're going to start in the book of Luke. Now, we will be using Bible readings by Alexander Scorby. And I'm saying this in case anyone wants to chase us down for copyright purposes. So, sister? I've snuck up on them. Next. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph, and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, as it was told unto them. Okay, so Jesus is born and laid in a manger. But he was also the pre-existing creator and sustainer of the entire universe. As it says in Colossians, For by him were all things created, that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. 
and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. So we have a newborn human and a pre-existing God in the same package. And this union of God and man, two in one, the hypostatic union, is a key idea that we're going to explore in this lesson. So hypostasis, which is from two Greek words, hypo meaning under beneath, under beneath, great, underneath or below, and stasis, a standing, a position, literally the underlying substance. That's hypostasis. What, 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 what is significant, it's basically foundational. And it's interesting, I find, that the word that the, theologians use to describe the union of God and man doesn't mention God or man. It's just describing an underlying condition, a foundational idea. Now, a hypostasis is not the same thing as a theophany. We know what a theophany is? Nope. I'm seeing a certain amount of this out there. Theophany? No, no, no. Okay. So a theophany is an appearance of God in human form in the Bible before Luke chapter 2. So, for example, in Genesis, when Abram is visited by three men, men is very much in quotes there, and they're discussing the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, Abram recognizes God in those figures. When an angel of the Lord appears to Gideon and accepts a sacrifice by Gideon, it couldn't have been an angel, because angels always deflect worship up to God. It had to be a pre-incarnate appearance of God. Later in the book of Gideon, when an angel appears to Gideon right before the battle, I think it was Gideon, I may be confused, it was, a, it was an Old Testament battle, and he identifies himself as the captain of the heavenly host, once again, a theophany, a pre-Bethlehem bodily appearance of God. But these were always temporary, short-term, and it was often clearly an angelic figure that is not of this earth. <clears throat> not the same thing as the virgin birth, but a result of the virgin birth, this hypostasis. Now, don't, it's just, this, I'll be honest, this is very confusing to our human imagination. It's not two natures side by side existing in the same body. It's not a mixed Mixture of two natures in the body. And it's nothing like our earthly experience as Christians of the good nature, the godly nature that's in us, and the unrighteous nature that's in us. That's, that's two uh, opposing, fighting, conflicting natures. No, this is, I'll wait for that, this is one it's a complete fusion of two natures, but it's not 50% God and 50% man. It's 100% God and 100% man. 
And this is the point where anyone who's math-based goes, um, we have a problem. Consider for a moment that God, by the word of his mouth, was able to bring everything we see around us into existence across six days. Given that God can do that, can God miraculously make 100% plus 100% equal, 200, equal 100%? I think it's quite within his abilities. What we need to understand is that Christ, in his incarnate form, was 100% man and 100% divine, excuse me, and stop right there. Because if you try to explain it, you're going to get in trouble. Okay? I love looking at the Bible and trying to figure out the ways of God within my very limited capacity. I love discussing the ways of God with my brethren who also study the Word of God. But there comes a point where if you keep trying to figure it out, you're just going to run yourself around in a circle and probably end up in a really bad place, heresy. Um, We're going to spend a few minutes in a moment looking at some of the heresies around misunderstanding of God's, of the nature of Jesus. 100% God, 100% man. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time investigating that before, because the world does not need Nussbergerism, another heresy. <laughs> there comes a point where you just have to accept it on faith. 100% God and 100% man equals 100% Jesus Christ. So misunderstandings of this are the foundation of most heresies in the history of Christianity. Arianism saw Jesus as a creation of God. But if he's not God, then he's not divine, and he can't die for our sins. He could maybe die for the sins of one, but not for all. Docetism saw Jesus as divine, completely divine, in an illusionary body. Because it was a form of Gnosticism, and all, all spirit is good, and all material is bad. So Christ couldn't have a material body because that would be bad. But this leaves Christ without a human nature. And so he can't be tempted as we are. He can't have fulfilled the law because he was never man. Adoptionism saw Jesus as a a normal human but adopted by God as his baptism, which denies the virgin birth and the preexistence of Christ, of Jesus the Word, And again, you're left standing in a fuddle, unable to explain anything. Uh, I love this one. Apollinarianism. Jesus had a human body, but a divine mind. They're trying to figure out that 100% plus 100%. And trying to figure it out. But this makes Christ incompletely human. And if he's not fully human, once again, he doesn't qualify Because he didn't keep the law as a man. Monophyticism? Monophyticism. Jesus only had a divine nature, 
which again prevents him from being tempted in all ways as we are. Modalism, oh, this one's a mess. This one just strikes at the core of the Trinity. It identifies God as one being with three aspects, not three individual persons who are one. Again, someone's trying to explain away something they can't understand. It doesn't go well. If you believe in modalism, when Christ uh, is baptized in the River Jordan by John, you have God saying, this is my beloved son, as God comes out of the water and God descends as a dove. Well, if there's a trinity, that's easy. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. If you're a modalist, this is God kind of putting on some kind of ridiculous play acting in three parts, wearing three different masks simultaneously. It just, it doesn't work. Let me just finish up here. This is one of those ineffable things, one of those things that we can't put in words, one of those things that if we try to explain it, we're only going to make it worse. Okay? And it is a foundational truth of the New Testament. It may be the foundational truth of the New Testament that God came to earth retaining his divinity and lived in a body that was fully human. The fact that he's 100% divine and 100% human, on the human side, he, he, he obeyed the law completely, although he was capable of being tempted. That allows him to die for one man, you know, kind of in replacement. But the fact that he's divine allows him to die for all men. Right? Have I lost anybody? Anybody just want to head out to Shipley's and give up? Okay, we continue. So, Jesus' birth is probably the most confused account in the Bible. Because if you talk to somebody about the events that happened around Jesus' birth, you'll get a lot of facts that don't appear anywhere in the account in Luke. Uh, it accumulates facts like a, like a tall tale. So I have a little challenge, a little exercise for the class. Are we ready? I got two, two or three slides worth of facts, and all you have to do is tell me if they're true or if they're false. Did they happen in the account according to Luke, or did they not? Joseph and Mary were in Bethlehem because of a government census. True? False? Okay, that one's true. Mary rode on a donkey. True? Anybody? True. Not in the Bible. Commonly accepted. Now, don't, don't do that with me, brother. Be patient. We got lots of chances. Commonly accepted. It adds wonderful drama to the story. Not anywhere in the account. Mary gave birth the night they arrived. True? I can't understand you, brother. Unknown. Unknown. Fairly unlikely. Uh, there's nothing in the Bible that says she gave birth the night they arrived in Bethlehem, but oh, it cranks up the drama, doesn't it? An uncaring innkeeper turned them out. True or false? You're going to see it in lots of dramatizations, but it's not there. 
He was not an he wasn't even an innkeeper, and frankly, it wasn't even an inn. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. Jesus was wrapped in swaddling clothes, symbolic of the burial bandages he would one day wear. Wrapped in swaddling clothes, true. Symbolic of the burial bandages, not so much, because even today they swaddle kids all the time in the hospital. Has nothing to do with the burial bandages. But, oh, it's so symbolic in many people's minds. Jesus was laid in a manger. True or false? True. The shepherds saw an angel. True or false? Uh, the shepherds were afraid. True or false? Yeah, nobody ever sees an angel without freaking out at least a little bit. Um, a choir of angels sang. True or false? He says false. Who else? Anyone else? Is true or false? You think true? I say false. Why do you say false, brother? Because it doesn't say they sang. It says they praised God. It doesn't say they sang. Yeah, there are so many hymns that talk about how, oh, how the angels sang. And this one caught me out. I was reading through the lesson. They're like, angels didn't necessarily sing. And I went, whoops. The shepherds checked out the source, the source of the, the rumor the angels gave them. Yeah, they went into town and tried to see what was going on. The shepherds spread the news. Absolutely true. The shepherds returned glorifying God. Absolutely true. The wise men came shortly after. Yeah, completely false. Up to two years later. But again, you've you got to put everything in one night so it's as dramatic as possible. It's just not the biblical account. So let's talk about that inn. He was born in a stable because there was no room at the inn. Everybody knows this is true. The problem is the Greek word kataluma literally means upper room. Many homes in Israel in that time had an upper room for guests. They also had a downstairs stable. Chances that there were that was actually an inn in Bethlehem at this time in history approximately zero. So this is an example of the learned scholars of the King James misinterpreting a passage in the Greek because every little town in England had an inn. It was just accepted. They were imposing their worldview on the Bible. And that's a warning for all of us. If you approach the Bible from a 20th century mind, mindscape, approach, model, you're likely to get tripped up. Because first century Israel is very different from 21st century USA. So they had a downstairs stable where they would bring in livestock. Most likely, Mary and Joseph were not in some random stable out in the countryside the way you always see it. But a chamber below, probably in the house of a family relative. They came to the house of the relative. The relative said, we got people packed in upstairs, but you can take shelter downstairs. You just hear the illusions going pop. 
because most of the stuff we know was added for dramatic effect or was a misunderstanding. Christmas will never be the same. So his birth. His birth fulfilled prophecy. Micah chapter 5 verse 2. But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Yeah, the obvious low-hanging fruit prophecy is Micah. But also... He came into being by woman, Genesis chapter 3.15, through a virgin, Isaiah 7.14, identified as God with us, Isaiah 7.14, a king of David's line, 2 Samuel 7, 11 through 13, of the tribe of Judah, Genesis 49.10, and a slew, I think it's been estimated 210 prophecies were fulfilled by Christ, not just at his birth, but across his entire birth, life, and ministry. These are just some of the obvious ones here on the day he was born. Next passage, please. The Gospel according to St. John, chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So we spent the last couple of minutes talking about Jesus' human origins. Now we're going to look back at the pre-existing God. So this word was with God at the beginning, at creation, and was God. Created everything, as was stated twice in this passage, referred to by a masculine pronoun. So not a thing, a person, a male person, also called the light. Came to the world, but largely rejected. But those who accepted him could become the sons of God. He took up flesh and dwelt among men. John, the writer of this passage, is part of that we that he talks about. We beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. John was an eyewitness to the glory of Jesus. Matter of fact, he was up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And it, finally, this word in this passage, this word in this light is identified by the author as Jesus. So the incarnation 
taking on flesh, he came and dwelt among us. He also, in John 5, 18, therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Jesus is not only the word that took on flesh, but he is equal with God. He is not in a secondary or subservient position, although described as father and son, and you'd expect, well, the father has to be the more senior of the business, right? You know, the son is just junior. Don't get stuck in that thinking. Father and son is father and son, equal. In John chapter 10, I and my father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, many good works have I showed you from my father. For which of these works do you stone me? The Jews answered him saying, for a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy. Because that thou being a man makest thyself God. And if anyone else at that time or any other time had made the claim, I'm God. He'd have deserved every single stone lobbed his way. But Christ is one with the Father and is God. And there have been a lot of people across the history of this world who declared themselves God. You got David Koresh. You got Holly Selassie, king of Ethiopia. You got Jim Jones. You got a long litany of wackos. And one who made the claim honestly. In John 20, then he said to Thomas, reach hither thy finger and behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand, thrust it into my side and be not faithless but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, my Lord and my God. He is a true Christian's Lord and God. He's not God over there. He's our God. And that, that makes a rather a big difference. In Philippians, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being born in the form of God, excuse me, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. This God, equal with God, is a God, was willing to humble himself, taking on the form and body of a man. So, having spent about a half an hour talking about Christ's dual nature, about that he was 100% God and 100% man. Talking about misunderstandings around that and why, yeah, I'm running a little early, Richard. <laughs> and why we need to be careful to avoid the heresy of trying to figure out how God did it. Because every man in the history of the world who's tried to figure that out has, been, has had a heresy named after him. It just doesn't go well. having talked about the circumstances of Christ's death. The application, what did you realize today about the influence that movies and dramas based on the Bible 
have on the way we think about biblical accounts, particularly the account of the birth of Jesus. Anyone want to pick that up? So how many people have sent Christmas cards in the past with images of Christ and his birth that are just plain wrong? (laughs) Trying to touch the ceiling over here. It's interesting. Uh, I challenge you maybe take a look at your Christmas cards this year and see if you're perpetuating biblical error. Now, it's minor error. Okay, the fact that the the wise men showed up two years later doesn't impact any theology I can think of. And we shouldn't be spending our time here arguing about it. I only bring it up because we need to recognize that our mental picture of what's going on in the Bible is not always accurate, which means we need to study more. Anyone else want to talk about this?